0: 26 minutes after 7 p.m., it's our wrap of the top business stories. Joined on the line to give us the latest in the markets on this day, the day of the mini budget. Uh, joined by a uh, uh, founder and chief investment officer out at Marque Fund Managers, and that's Marque Masilela. Locha and Masilela. Sal fagasolki. Wow. Ucha merre? Ucha merre kumra Show my brother. Show my brother Marque. Let's talk about the MTBPS just for a second. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot. Uh, and I think a lot of people now are saying, ah, man, but the Etolls are going. And I don't know, man. I, I haven't looked in any great detail. And maybe they are going. But um, the language, I guess, in the speech that was delivered was quite cryptic about Etolls. Uh, so let's start there. That might be a good place to start. Yeah, I'm the Itals. Yeah, yeah, hamba, but tolling of the roads, I'm the. question is,
1: who will pay for that in another way or form whether it's going to be ethos after right consultation is another story or they're going to raise that money from other uh, uh, sources but yes even the maintenance thereof, money has to come out Mm. somewhere but that dark cloud that has been hanging over you know most people then at least for now we can say yeah Mm. because the government said it's going to be paying what 70% and then the Houten province will pay 30% but going forward Houten province they have to find a way how are they going to go ahead to maintain mm. those kind of roads
0: so, but, but the finance minister even makes a suggestion on how they could go ahead. He says you could fund any additional investment in roads through existing electronic tolls or new yes. toll plazas or any other revenue source. So you're right. Uh, it might not be collected Via the gantries that we had, or it might even be collected via the gantries because electronic tolls, I assume, are e tolls. Uh, yeah. Unless I'm missing something, yeah. But
1: there's, but there's a third option, another form of locus, of revenue, another source. Salome and we banana. know, yeah, but we know that when it comes to e tolls, mm. the gantries, people are, have been totally against it. Yeah, and no, where it me. was the process that was followed, stuff mm. like that.
0: But hey, you can do a combination, you know, sure, Mark. I think for me, it's the principle. I get, you know, people maybe are saying, ah, it's no longer Nazir Ali or whoever was at Sanral who was trying to shove it down our throats at the time, you know. Um, yeah. Uh, but at the end of the day, it might be a different La Karsha, but it's La Karsha nonetheless, right?
1: No, definitely. And are we having good roads, especially when it comes to our freeways? Definitely we do. Yes. Are they worth maintaining? Definitely they are. Must we continue to maintain them by all means? And must we fund them? We should find money somewhere to fund
0: them. User, user pays,
1: <laughs> it only makes no fighting. King,
0: yeah, but I get Mark, I want us yeah. to also talk and uh, we'll certainly pick up some of the big things there. But socs quickly, uh, you know, some allocations there. Talk to me about this return to service of old locos. What's happening at Transnet? Because the moment I the last time I heard return to service was when ESCOM was returning plants to service, uh, and these are some of the plants that are, are clearly misfiring at the moment. Some of them.
1: The long and short is that our port terminals, our transmitters not being operating 110%, all because of maintenance, all because of old stories, mm. and no investment that has been put into this whole thing. And we know that if they're not operating 110%, then it's costing us a lot of money. So we have to optimize this whole thing. And somebody said it nicely the other day that, you know, Transnet is another outcome in the making. Mm. If we don't tackle it now, we'll get to a point where now we have every now and then to give them money, try to make sure that things that could have been done 15 years back, we are rushing to try to do them today.
0: Hey, I, uh, do you see, Transnet is different, like, in way, because you might have an alternative energy source, you know, uh, if uh, yeah. you're a firm. But I don't know if you have an alternative rail line.
1: You go to Maputo, ask Green Road. Green Road, they've got their own rails. Green Road, they are using Maputo. Mm. People have started using and People will find ways, those sure. are more difficult, as it is now. The issue of trade, people have managed to find alternatives. Here we are, we've got trucks. It's coming at a cost, whether the cost from the companies because of transportation costs or our roads. But here we are, people are now using trucks to move things around, Mm. and it's not supposed to be like that. So, business, as we usually say, they like certainty and they find a way to work Mm. around that. And yes, unfortunately, most of it are not. It becomes very expensive.
0: Maybe just the last one on this transnet issue, before we maybe take a look at one last thing and then we can get into some of the company news. Uh, Since I had a presser, uh, I think last week, a briefing, uh, a transnet freight rail. uh, And two big things were said there. The one is that they'd come to in-principle agreements with uh, the Chinese railway company, Um, and then also Alstom, which I think is, I understand, is a French rail company as well, which uh, has acquired Bombardier now, around uh, spare parts, but also some of the outstanding trains that were supposed to be delivered as part of La contract, Yaise Transnet. So if indeed these are coming online and you're not going to procure new ones, why are we returning the old ones to service?
1: That's a very clever question, and it goes to what you usually say, that these guy's operate in silos. You might find that what they're planning and doing on to a day-to-day, the minister is not even aware of all those facts. You know, they just worked out on this whole budget thing, you know. We know it's a process. It takes months for them mm. to come to the speech that we had today. And I won't be surprised, you know, because you are right. It doesn't make sense if that's the case.
0: Yeah, it's an interesting one there. But let's uh, talk about uh, motor vehicles just for a second. Mercedes-Benz put out their numbers earlier on today. Uh, I don't know what you make of this, uh, Mark. I know you are the target market for this kind of, uh, uh, you know, brand. Uh, this kind of German, this kind of German uh, automotive uh, is your kind of thing, I would assume. Uh, <laughs> they've got their third quarter numbers, uh, Mark, that have come out. Um, earnings coming up 83%. Uh, And these guys are selling battery electric vehicles, which I assume are high margin. And that's something that's lifting up their numbers.
1: And it just shows you, uh, if maybe you want to relate this with the likes of your rich ones, the likes of your Louis Vuitton, that people continue to spend on like the records, mm. you know, as we are complaining that economies are not doing okay. But guys with deep pockets, unfortunately, or fortunately for that, they were not affected that much. And that's right, the guys delivered solid financial results, and because of that, a robust demand, and healthy, and I'm not agreeing with the healthy pricing, those things are too expensive but they call it a healthy price so for cars and vans, and also some cost discipline. But it just confirms that look at the top end in electric vehicles. As customer orders exceeded the constrained supply, and that's in large part due to the ongoing semiconductor shortages, mm. imagine if we didn't have those kind of bottlenecks when it comes to logistics. That tells you that guys who have delivered also uh, uh, managed to sell more than that People are having, like, extended waiting periods because of those semiconductors the bottlenecks. So people are ready to buy. So basically Mercedes-Benz, I think, also what they should have added to their statement that they're struggling to meet demand because something that people used to wait for three months, now it's like nine months. So if they were keeping their three-month story, definitely the guys would have sold more. But what I like about them, they're facing reality. Especially when it comes to their plant, Mm. but listen, we have to move to to what you call this thing, green energy. Mm. I mean, I think this whole thing of Russia-Ukraine taught us something. That yeah, 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 Russia is using or weaponizing uh, natural gas, but at the same, probably at the same time, it might help us to go much greener. I think it's the same story with COVID, that as much as it was bad, but there are nice things that we can learn from that and start implementing them on day to day, you know. Mm. But yeah, they didn't have much of a choice, but the free cash flow as well, you know, is just okay and we know the guys, because of the bottleneck stuff like that, they had to make sure that they build up on inventory.
0: Mm. Now, I mean, here's the other interesting thing for me about the green energy thing here. Uh, just if I can place it in context, Um, these guys are investing in a wind farm next to their operations with an output of over 100 megawatts. Just to place that in context, our wind program here in South Africa, I understand, has a cap like per project of 140 megawatts. These guys are saying this 100 megawatts or more than 100 megawatts is more than just 15% of the Mercedes group's electricity (laughs) needs in Germany. And they're going to... Just this one company will invest in 100 megawatts. T, now we say in South Africa, as part of the national program, uh, that uh, will choose maybe 11 PIDAs. Each PIDA gets 140 <laughs> megawatts
1: each. <laughs> yeah. I am 11. I am <laughs> 11. <laughs> I, am, I, I am 11. Yo. I'm, I, I'm 11. Uh, and it's good. very interesting because that's only more than 15% you know, of the electricity in Germany. Yo, 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 yo. But I think it goes back to our level.
0: Yeah, I think so too. I mean, I think that's that's the main thing, that uh, we're not comparing apples with apples here, but that's fine. No. That's fine. We'll Ma- get
1: there one
0: day. Let's talk about apples and uh, chips and uh, cheese and meat and juice. Famous brands. I was telling mm. my, my colleague Andile here that um, you might walk into a mall and think, um, you know, you are... I don't know how to put this. You think you are... Hi, today I'm not going to go and eat at Steers. Today I'm going to go and eat at Fisherways. I'm looking for a healthy alternative. Tati Mali, I'm going to go Steers. These are Fisherways. Uh, Mali, I'm instead of uh, another place. Uh, but all of these seem to be in the same tent and in the same family. Definitely.
1: I mean, they've got almost I mean, 17 restaurants, friends. And they've got a network of almost 2,850 restaurants, and you name them, you are Mark and Bean, you are mm. Tenantender, I mean, Tina, we know the wind piece of the world. you know. You guys are doing the pulse, you know. But their integrated supply chain is made up of also manufacturing, so logistics, and retail operation, and that is to support those brands. And what's interesting is that since the removal of all COVID restrictions in June 2022, the in the restaurant industry has seen a positive shift in consumer behavior as customers return to restaurants, resume travel, attend sporting events. Beggar is is sold out, so mm. people are going into the sporting events, and this has supported improved restaurant turnovers and restaurants' marketing space. They're selling more alcohol yeah.
0: it seems as well,
1: exactly, and the marketing has to, had to increase because competition is very severe mm. out there. And as we know that while healthy eating continues to gain prominence, it is no longer driven by COVID-19. And consumers also speak indulgence uh, yeah. and comfort in their food choices. So raising but food and food
0: costs... But it seems, cost to me, it seems to me, Mark, we're just sorry on that. It seems to me that if I look at some of these... Um, numbers here. I mean the leading brand segment, or your steers, your debonaires, yeah. your which I would think speaks to the middle market and even maybe lower end of the market and, you know, many of the small towns and so on. You'll find the steers, you'll find the debonaires and so on. Um, yeah. they are leading the charge not only in terms of the, you know, absolute scale of the revenues involved compared to the signature brands, some of the ones I mentioned, you know, or Paul and Lexis and so on. But they also yeah. have much better margins, both on the marketing fees and also for the logistics and manufacturing side of this business. Uh, so it seems much like with what we see even in clothing retail, um, and we were talking mm-hmm. about something similar the other day, that it's uh, the bottom end of the income distribution and the middle part of the distribution that is seemingly holding things up.
1: Uh, yeah, and it confirms what we've been saying, whether it's grocery or eating out, that more than 50% of our people spend more than 50% of their money on food. And whether we like it or not, uh, Aya. Yeah middle to lower LSM going out to a, a mall, whether it's month-end or whatever, mm. you know, just eating out, it's more of a trick, more than anything. Sure. And those things, as I are saying, I mean, those things have been there with the C A town, you know. It's still there with I you, know. whether now the malls are closer to us, but people still strongly feel that, listen, if I have to go out to the malls, as you said, is, it's not like I'm not going to eat. It's a question of, I'm not going to eat a steers, but a CAAD. Mm. Oh. So eating is there that you got to eat.
0: Yeah, yeah. M- maybe then, uh, you know, Mark, we're just a, a last one briefly. I want us to take a look at Mondelez. Uh, very interesting story here. Uh, firstly, I didn't know that uh, Côte d'Ivoire and um, mm. the, the West African nations of Côte d'Ivoire and I think Ghana, um, yeah. I stand to be corrected, yeah, are some of the largest, like if not the largest, suppliers of cocoa, like which goes into chocolate. And they are also the people yeah. who boycotted some cocoa summit that was happening in Belgium. What's happening here?
1: I've recalled I think, you know, and the Ghana because yeah, yeah. those guys they represent two thirds of the cocoa market. Guys are complaining, and I think guys have wised up. But hey, we are the source. Without us, we won't be able mm. to have that chiller. Without us, we don't have. We won't be able to have that chocolate, you know. If we don't produce cocoa, but unfortunately, us being the source. We are the ones who are not making money. We are the ones who are living in poverty. Mm. And you guys, you know, at the end of the supply chain, you are making it big because you take all these things and process them mm. and sell them at a higher price. Can we please maybe start talking? Stop seeing us as you, us and you, but just as us. That we are a sector. Yeah. Can we please take care of each other? And I think if that principle can be applied in almost all the mm. industries will get somewhere, you know. Mark, because oh, have hold the li- li- let's stop. do
0: this. Let's do this. Hold the line, and uh, I want you to hold the line. There. Let's take a brief break, and we'll continue on the other side. Seventeen minutes uh, before eight pm, and uh, we conclude our discussion with uh, Markwe Masalela for our business wrap. And Markwe, uh, I guess you were making the point there about, uh, you know, a boycott like this might be the start of uh, say, Pff, Ghana and Ivory Coast saying, "Well, respect us in this cocoa market." Uh, Where. A lot of chocolate is made, but also some other products as well from uh, uh, Coco. But um, I guess, you know, Mark, we're not the kind of product, it's a luxury good, it's a discretionary purchase. You know, if they stand up like this, not the kind of um, thing that would have the ripple impact that, we, for instance, we saw during the OPEC oil crisis, you know, in the 70s, where the Arab oil producing countries said, you know what, if you guys are going to play with Israel, if you're going to, you know, go off the gold standard and make us lose our money, we will deal with you. Uh, and yes. I think they've been respected since they did that. Uh, not the kind of moment here, because I guess of the kind of product.
1: <laughs> you know, you'll undermine the way people are so addicted to their chocolate, how much they <laughs> love that in their drawers, you know, stuff like that. Others are hiding it, but this is a very huge market. And I think even the pricing, it's easy for people to continue to buy it. You know, as much as discretionary. And I think I, uh, my biggest point here is it just proves to you that people are not dealing fairly. If people from Ghana, Ivory Coast, they didn't stand up, why are you only addressing the issues of farmers' incomes, access to education, and this whole thing of making sure of deforestation now? Why mm. now? You mm. have to wait for them to stand up and fight. Why from the word go you didn't do things right? And it just tells you that almost everyone in their industry just have to look around yeah. and start to make sure that things are done properly because all along you think things are done properly, they offer you five francs, you think that is what the best they can offer you, or to find that the guys can even offer you more than that, but you mm. need to spend because it's just not fair. Going back to a transparent story, just look how they moved, yeah. you know, with the salary sure. from 1% to 3%, how? If we have to pay money, so... Also, with these guys, they realize that, listen, guys, we need to involve sure, all the sure. stakeholders yeah. or else our interest is going to
0: die. Makwe, we're going to have to leave it here for tonight. Always a pleasure catching up with you, bro. Take care. Take yeah. care. Masilela, Chief Investment Officer and Founder out at Makwe Fund Managers, helping us with our wrap of the top business stories. And, of course, it was... Uh, medium-term budget policy statement day, mini-budget day today. And, uh, yeah, we're going to take a brief break now. Class buya Deputy Director General at the Budget Office of the National Treasury, Edgar Sishi, is my guest. Minister of Finance, you know, tabled the the MTBPS, the mini-budget, uh, budget policy statement earlier on today. And, uh, yeah, highlighting a lot, uh, but also, I guess... Uh, A few key messages in this particular budget, Uh, better than expected collections uh, have also given some room to deal with all manner of fiscal risks, not least of all, of course, uh, what's happening in our state-owned entities. And, uh, yeah, a bit of a bump up in allocation for local government as well. Joined on the line by Edgar Sishi, DDG in the Budget Office at the National Treasury.